right, guys. So today we're talking about gnomes. Um, and there are little tinkerers, our little engineers of the, the D&D sphere. And I got a pitch for you guys. Today for our cold open, we're going to do a literal dragon's den. Instead of sitting in front of a panel of investors to pitch your fun little tink, uh, tinkering idea, you are sitting in front of an actual dragon. And you have to pitch your interesting new little tool that you have tinkered together like a gnome, or you will die in a gut of living draconic flame. So let's grab our dice and roll, and then present to me, the dragon, I guess, your uh, interesting little tinkered t tool or toy or something. Oh, fuck, I'm going to die. <laughs> I got a 10. Oh, I got a 10 as well. Roll off. Oh, shit. Oh, natural 20. Oh, I got an 18. You bitch. Peps, what'd you get? <laughs> I got a four. Thank God I'm going last. Okay. All right, Dan, you're first. So for me, as as people who have listened to this podcast know, uh, the tendency for people to interrupt others and speak over others, those who listened to, as of what the recording, the, the presidential debates yesterday and the fact that it was basically two, two grown men talking and yelling over each other all day long, uh, I want to invent a small ring that sends out electrical shocks whenever someone is interrupting. That is that is my little fun little tinker thing. Not not enough to like cause amount of pain, but just enough to like tell you to shut up, man. I do not like this invention. Well, fortunately, I already said I'm the dragon, so uh, I like it. Um, Your right, turn, Adam. I don't know. Uh, I'm the dragon queen here, so maybe I should be the dragon. I guess you are the guest star. So okay, fine. You're the you're right. the dragon. Adam, pitch uh, your thing to Peps. You're a dragon. Are you sick and tired of those pesky bards continually seducing you and then never being able to perform? What I have to offer you today is the cod piece of enlarge. Now, Ooh. even though you may be a gargantuan size, that human or half-elf-sized codpiece can be as big or as small as you require. I like Gross. it. Gross. Gross. <laughs> no? That's way better than a zap collar, I gotta say. <laughs> exactly. It's essential. Are, 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 it's essential. Are, when we're talking you made about a mechanic... training collar for my dog. Like, you just hit a button and it zaps him. <laughs> are we talking mechanics here? Like, do you roll 2d12 uh, plus con for girth size? Like, what are we... What are we talking here? Oh, no, it is it, the dragon and only the dragon. They hold a, a stone in their hand and then they're going to say the magic words. And then depending on, on what it is, whatever they picture is going to be what that cod piece becomes. All right, Peps, what you got? Oh, God, I didn't think of anything yet. Um, <laughs> I need something that cleans up my mess behind me. That's what I need. I need something that just like cleans up my workspace and puts my paints away and isn't you know, that what children are for? I thought like, that's what children are for. It cleans up all the little foam bits because terrain building is hard and messy. <laughs> it's real messy. <laughs> that's what I would build. Just I, I, I thought I thought that's why we had kids. Like oh, I, I thought that's that's no, why the kids exist. <laughs> they complain about it and do it half-assed. So well, just just give them a vacuum and tell them they're Ghostbusters. <sighs> hey, that worked with my kid. That worked with my son. He loves vacuuming now because he thinks he's a Ghostbuster. <laughs> I do at work. I have a like backpack that goes on your back, and we call them our proton packs. So I already have one of those. It's a mimic. 
the Roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation about the playable races in D&D 5th edition. I'm Dan, and with me this week are Adam and a very special guest star, Pepperina. Hey! <laughs> uh, That's me! <laughs> yay! Uh, this episode is called Gnomes, That's Tinking Feeling. But before we get started, Peps, what's your deal? How can people find you? And what's your D&D experience? Essentially, Peps, pimp your shit. Pimp my shit. I have in my notes, stuff to pimp. My Instagram handle is pepperina underscore sparkle gym, which is the most fun name on Instagram. I would Very say. gnomish. I do mm-hmm. approve. Well, it is from my first gnome character. It was her. It's her persona. And Pepperina actually comes from my old WoW character who was a gnome. And That's, oh, well, oh, oh, we can't be friends anymore, you dirty alliance. <laughs> well, they're prettier. Uh, Oscar the Orc is legit my uh, D&D character for 20 years, as well as my Orc warrior on WoW that I still play Nerds! to this day. <laughs> <laughs> um... You know, I play video games mostly like I want the prettiest thing. So the Alliance was just prettier than the whole. You're like Harry with that. Terry always picks the prettiest thing he can as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, that's me. Like, I just want to run around in the prettiest dress. and. I mean, that's me too, but only on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, My deal, I play D&D. I paint minis and I build terrain. So that's what you'll find on my Instagram. I also am on a podcast where I play D&D. So you can find me at CritStormCast on all of our social medias. It's at CritStormCast. Crit, CritStorm is like one of my favorite actual plays. I'm, I'm like, I am in the process of getting current with it. Mm-hmm. And I freaking love every minute. I, I cannot pimp uh, CritStorm enough. Thank you. I play Thea, a fallen Azimar fighter, in it, and she just basically loves smashing shit. That's that's what <laughs> yes. I do on that. So I think that is all of the shit I have to pimp. Awesome. Well, um, and again, your Instagram handle is at pepperina underscore sparkle gem. Correct. Awesome. So uh, everybody out there, if you want a fun Instagram feed, a fun, uh, I guess, member of the community would be a good way to put it. Um, head on over to Instagram and check out Pimperina. Uh, Pep- Pimperina? Pimperina. There it is. It's Pepperina's shit. Pepperina. <laughs> not my um, real and- name. I get that question a lot. That My parents did not name me Pepperina. They should have. <laughs> they should have. I'm a lot like a gnome. I have a lot of names I go by. Speaking of which, uh, so today we are, of course, covering the best race in the D&D Player's Handbook, the Gnomes. Um, Second to none, um, they are the brilliant little guys. Um, So as we go forward here, we're just going to cover the the basics of the Gnomes. And I guess the start of that would be their description. Gnomes range from roughly three feet to four feet tall. That means, yes, they are small sized. And I thought they were smaller than halflings until I did my research today. And um, they're not. They're not even the smallest race in the smallest playable race that we could play. Um, 
what was the order we figured out there, Adam? It was Kobolds. Yeah. Then... Uh, oh, shit. Kobolds and then Grung and Halflings are all the low end of it. And then it is Goblins, Gnomes, and uh, Deep Gnomes as well. Are the, yeah. Are the upper echelon. So those those are your small sized playable races in the game. So they're they're not quite as small as halflings, but they are rather diminutive uh, diminutive as uh, they go compared to the other races, the humans, the elves, and the half orcs. Well, they're like sixty percentlings, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're in previous editions. They uh, often were really really closely tied with dwarves and. and they are they are the, like the little brothers of the dwarves is the lore that used to surround gnomes. Now, of course, a lot of that has changed. A lot of that is different now. But um, they they were the little dwarves basically uh, as an option in previous editions. So I'm glad that they've changed their path because now you have these great little tinkerers, engineers, scientists, um, and a, uh, gnomes' entire life is about. Uh, discovery and uh creativity and um really uncovering those hidden secrets in the entire universe um well i'm glad that they're not tied in with dwarves anymore i like them better as being closer to elves honestly in in my brain whereas halflings are like little people little humans um gnomes are little elves uh you know you get the pointy ears they like to live in the woods at least the forest gnomes do but they both have this like fae background kind of tie to them, right? So yeah, they they have they sense. have that whimsical feel to them. Yeah, yeah. I think it even says like at least under forest gnomes that they are allied strongly with the elves. Yeah, um, and I mean rock gnomes are still they still live in caves and deep underground. They're and called fraggles, and you fucking know it. No, no, they're not called fraggles. No, <laughs> that would be the Zverf Neblin. No way. No, those are the diggers. I know a lot about Fraggle Rock for some reason. You're I could go into this if you'd like. Fraggle Rock. Okay, little little Dan Pop quiz. Fraggle Rock is one of two shows growing up that I could not watch because of nightmares. They gave me nightmares. I believe it was that. Fraggle Rock and uh, Dark Crystal. You just don't like puppets, huh? I loved puppets. I, I'm a massive Muppets fan. I'm a massive Sesame Street fan. But when it came to Fraggle Rock, the I, I could not handle... I think the big guys... I, what, what are they? Are they the Bergen? Is that what they call them? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're the Bergen, who are these big, uh, like, sort of ogre-like characters. They creeped me out. And then the walking, talking birds of Dark Crystal, man. I couldn't do it. Well, the Dark Crystal's a fever nightmare, right? Like, that's... I'm pretty sure the Dark Crystal is is what you see when you are suffering from your COVID fever. Oh. Right? But, I mean... Yeah. It's it's ironic that you didn't like the Ogres in Fraggle Rock because you fucking look like one now. Rude. Well... Maybe that's why I didn't like him. Like, he identified with him too much. That's <laughs> that's really sad. Dan, do we need to go back to therapy? Uh, so that would imply that I left... Is that what this episode's going to turn into? Just therapy? <laughs> Honestly, Session that's what every episode turns into. We just turn the mics off halfway through. We, wow. we then, yeah, we wrap, we wrap the episode to... for everyone. And then we, we sit down and just kind of try to hug it out with Dan. And sometimes Terry ex- gets a little handsy and then we that need even more out. therapy. I'm excited to be here for it. 
Well, thank you. Thank you both. Anyways, we're going to keep going here. Um, now, uh, your gnomes tend to be lighter skinned. However, 2020 people play them how you want. Um, but the one thing that uh, is notable about 99.9% of gnomes is they usually have broad smiles with um, bright, colorful eyes. Uh, one of the examples I have read has, you know, uh, these bright lavender or turquoise eyes to your gnomes. So there is always that shining, um, bright, gem-like color that could come with your gnome's eyes. Uh, they tend to have fair hair as well that is a bit wild and unkempt and sticks out in many different directions. However, when it comes to facial hair, specifically with your um, male gnomes, they tend to have incredibly well-kept, although still fanciful, facial hair. So we're talking like little points or little mustaches that fork off with curls or whatever you have. Um, Do they have body guys, hair? Is there, um, I would assume very little. Um, unfortunately, the the depths of the descriptions that we get in D&D 5e don't cover like armpit hair. Oh, but, oh, oh, you're wrong, and I will be addressing this later. Oh, weird. Okay, yeah. I was actually going to ask, is there anything you guys want to add or change with the physical descriptions here? Um, anything you guys run different at your tables? Uh any changes based off your subrace here that, that we can mention? When I played a gnome, I one of them had blue hair and the other had purple. So I just do whatever I want. <laughs> that that's a very a Pathfinder yeah, thing. Yeah, that's Pathfinder. Like, they all look like fucking treasure trolls over there. Yeah. I just like, like fun colored hair, which... You know. I, I really like that with gnomes as well. I liked the Pathfinder lore with them, but... Uh, be it that I don't want Adam to drive over to my house and stab me repeatedly, I will not bring up the Pathfinder gnomes again, I hope. But they do have this. Um, any other changes that you guys would add, Adam? Is there anything about uh, the gnome physicality that you would change or, or add or remove or for, modify? For homebrew? No, I mean, I don't. honestly, I don't put a whole lot of thought into gnomes. Gnomes show up for me to be more... They're um, usually a prankster of some sort for me, um, so I use them very sparingly because having an entire race of pranksters is a little bit too close to Kender, and I, I don't want to go near that in 5th edition. So, I don't know. I, gnomes tend not to appear en masse in my campaigns, um, and when they do, they're usually um, wild and a little bit crazy and getting into shit. I always think of Sam and Frodo as halflings and Merry and Pippin as gnomes. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, I like that. And I don't think there's supposed to be, like, a bunch of them. They're, when I was doing research, they kept being referred to as, like, the forgotten race. Like, yeah. they're always there, but no one really pays any attention to them. Well, that that's that's the thing about gnomes that um, I, I think gets overlooked a lot because they're such an enjoyable class to play. Gnomes are exceedingly rare. And part of that reason is because, um, one, gnomes tend to get so obsessed into their tinkering, into their discovery, their uh, work, that um, they have fairly small families because of that. Like, you don't see gnomes with large clans like dwarves has. That doesn't uh, make has. any sense to me. That just seems ridiculous. Because in my head, gnomes are consistently obsessed with something, and it changes a handful of times throughout their life. 
So I have to assume that when they give up whatever freaking star charts they're looking at or um, they're working with a specific kind of gem cutting or whatnot, like, hey, you know what? It's time for a family. I just feel like they're like rabbits, you know, just breed a fucking lot for like seven or eight years and then stop and go back to whatever. Like they just lose interest and move on to something else. Right? Like families yeah, are the one thing that they're not out. obsessive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just... Just fucking my my hammer. whole thing though is like they are long lived. They are the third longest lived race in the player's handbook behind elves and dwarves, um, living up to almost three hundred and fifty to five hundred years. Um, they spend a lot of time on their passions, and with how the um, gnomes are presented, I just I don't see them having massive families like. Uh, yeah, but, they... but that's just it. When you have families... I mean, I don't know... Look, you guys have kids. Both of you do. And, and I don't. But I assume that kids don't don't happen because of apathy. I assume there's passion involved there. So I'm going to assume that it's some sort of... um uh, Thing that gnomes can get really obsessive about. Now, I just picture horny gnomes everywhere. Just, <laughs> just oh, shit. They're in their... They're in their second century. Okay, right so now. we're going to move on just to save Adam's yeah. mental frame of mind here. I mean, that's how uh, I played my first gnome. <laughs> I, no one is surprised. Not a single soul. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of uh, furthering the the culture of gnomes, they they and where they live, depending on their uh, subspecies that we will be covering later. Um, most gnomes are known to live in um, little communities of other gnomes that work together to uh, build and create and discover. Um, they will often mine just to discover some precious metals so that they can make something cool or tinker something new with that uh, precious metal. Um, most communities are built around this idea. Um where it's just very communal living with a lot of space to do crafting. Um, this is different than I've typically run gnomes uh, because a lot of the times when I'm running gnomes, like they're they're interested, they're they're obsessive. Um, but when it comes to doing their work themselves, I, I I've always played them fairly insular. But reading the 5e lore, that's not the way they are at all. They work together and uh, their main god, Garl Glittergold, really encourages working together as a big part of his uh, religion, I guess. As a big part of his drive for uh, gnome, the gnome race to the point where one of the gods was literally kicked out of like this the godly commune because he didn't get along well with others. And that was the reason. So hold on a sec. The idea of working together as a community and the obsessive. So it's not just like horny gnomes having kids. We're talking full-fledged little bright-eyed orgies. I mean, whatever floats your boat, Adam. Yeah. (laughs) Hold on, I'm taking notes. Damn, the next campaign's going to get fucking weird. I'm not going to play a gnome. Anyways, (laughs) so... Uh, in terms of their locations, I mean, forest gnomes do tend toward the forest. Uh, 
Rock gnomes tend to be underground and in caves and Zverf Neblin or deep gnomes tend to be even deeper. They're, they're usually in the underdark or the darkest places there. Right, Adam? Uh, yes, uh, they're traditionally in the underdark, although they will come up to the darkest parts of the prime material, like the surface world. So, No. Now, we've mentioned it a few times, and now we're really going to get into it. Because of a gnome's drive to tinker and create, uh, this often fuels their passion um, to the point where if they ever run out of stuff to do where they are, that is what will drive a gnome to adventure beyond their commune, to leave in order to further their knowledge of whatever... um, science or thing that they are obsessed over um or to just experience the fullness of life gnomes are i don't know one of the happier races yeah. just by the happy. feel halflings, halflings are, pretty, are happy. pretty happy but like gnomes are are, are like they're just loving they're pr- life yeah they're pranksters but not in the like malicious way they they just authentically like to poke fun with people yeah i don't know right? ask and a it, kobold Cobalt's notwithstanding, <laughs> they are, and even, even, I don't know, I, I understand that there is a little bit of, uh, cobalt gnome hatred, and we'll get into that when we talk about the Pantheon, but it seems a little one-sided when it's presented in D&D 5e. So we'll, we'll get to that at, uh, in just a moment. Um, the one thing I wanted to mention about, uh, the gnomes and crafting specifically is, a lot of their items are fantastical and wonderful, but also are simply improvements on mundane tools for life or things that'll make their lives easier. Um, some of the examples in the book are things like a shovel that whistles a tune to make the drudgery of shoveling, uh, you know, lighter. Stuff like that comes up here. Um, like it's so like it's gonna... a shovel with iTunes on it. Yeah, kind of, right? Uh, I, I said it to shovel. Huh? Huh? Instead of shuffle, I hate you. I hate you so much. Uh, so the uh, general sound, uh, the general way you know that you're near uh, one of these gnomish communes is, uh, one, there is going to be sounds of tinkering, whistling, uh, general sound of crafting. You'll probably smell the acrid scent of like oil. Can or you expect to hear high hoes? Um, I yes, unfortunately, I think when you get to the seven dwarves of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, those guys are gnomes. At least, at least, Dopey is. Yeah. No, I meant, I, I meant. Can you expect to hear too. really drug-addled prostitutes, Dan? High hoes. God damn it, Adam. <laughs> so uh, a lot of our depiction in popular uh, media of dwarves also lines up with gnomes. Um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves comes to mind, as well as like uh, even some elves cross into the gnome frame of mind uh, with like the Keebler elves. Those are really gnomes. I was thinking that early. I was listening to your guys' elves episode earlier. To get a feel for how a race episode is done. And you guys yeah. were talking about the Keebler elves. I'm like, those are gnomes. They're just like bacon cookies in a tree. Those are tree gnomes. Yeah. Those are, those are forest gnomes. Yeah, absolutely. I also think of, what's the uh, what's the little fable about the cobbler? 
who has elves show up in the middle of the night to finish her shoes. Those are gnomes, right? No, 100%. Man, I wish I had some gnomes that just showed up and finished my work. I wish I just had some gnomes come up to do the work so that I could take the credit, because they'd be okay with that. My preferred kind of gnome is the underpants gnomes from uh, South Park. No, I'm on my own with that one? All right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're on your own with that one. Step one, steal underpants. Step two, step three, profit. What what would a gnome do with just, like, are they trying to make the underpants better? Step two. Oh, okay. Step three, profit. So this this will actually lead me on to the next thing. They will take those underpants, and some gnomes are so skilled at crafting and making those underpants better that <laughs> they will achieve a level of divine creation. That they become is, overpants? Is that what you're saying? No, I will, I will actually say that's that they what, become celestial. That's what Superman wears. Oh, yes, that's right. He wears overpants. Yeah. I love it. Yes, yes. You yeah. know that in the Fortress of Solitude, he's got one gnome just sitting there working on his box of briefs all the time. Mm-hmm. Until they is... become divine. Yeah. And he's probably a forest <laughs> gnome because I'm pretty sure he's, his name is Ollie Green. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Fortress of Solitude feels more like a rack gnome-like area, though. Yeah. yeah all right. I, I, I can see it. Or even a, even a deep gnome. I mean, depends on, on how deep those underpants go. I guess mm-hmm. the deep gnome is the one that deals with a thong. So moving on, we have, so uh, when these gnomes reach these level of creative genius, they will often um, ascend to uh, one of the realms called, uh, off the top of my head, I forgot, oh, Bytopia. They will often ascend to the realm of Bytopia where they become celestial toy makers. These guys will often build items that, although mechanical or... uh, in some way tinkered together, often the same kind of properties, these great magical items you find in the wondrous item list in your uh, Dungeon Master's Guide offers. They're really hammering home this idea that gnomes are in fact the tinkerers, they are the creators, and they're damn good at it. I have a question. Sure. And a legit question. What's the difference between tinkering and crafting? Um, I... Crafting has a purpose. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Useless fucking gnomes. Uh, well, no, no. Like crafting has a end goal in mind, whereas a gnome is like, if I put this and this together, what happens? And it's about the discovery, right? Um, but like a dwarf will craft and be like, at the end of the day, I will have a pickaxe. I will craft this thing and it will be a pickaxe. Whereas a gnome is putting things together and goes, oh, this would be great to use as a pickaxe. And all of a sudden he has a pickaxe that has a, I don't know, a jet on it or a way that instantly smelts the metal when you hit it. They're kind of like MacGyver. Yeah, right? Like they'll they'll, they'll walk into a place with a, a roll of twine, some duct tape and a cardboard tube and then... Somehow we'll create an explosive out of it. MacGyver was a gnome. We're learning things. We are. Uh, That's the other thing I wanted to mention about gnomes. Mishaps happen all the time because of this kind of haphazard crafting that they do. This haphazard tinkering. And most gnomes are unfazed by their experiment going wrong or by any sort of failure. Because they just see failure or... Um, a speed bump like this in the crafting process or discovery process being something to learn from 
for himself, for themselves, and any other gnome who has this uh, obsession. Uh, they have very much that inventor frame of mind where it's like, even if I fail, there's success in failure. Because you learn from it. And okay. learning is success. I like that, but in my canon now, for all my homebrew campaigns, the gnomes are fucking like rabbits. But there are so many failures with their thinkings that they've got like an actual pretty short lifespan. We just, like, I had 17 children. 14 of them have been lost to experimentations. Like, they can live 500 years, but... But it's rare. <laughs> but accidents happen. But accidents happen. They're usually, like, missing fingers and stuff. Yeah, because they know, get really obsessive... That They get really obsessive about having kids, not so obsessive about raising kids. So, there that is. <laughs> yep, that, that, that tracks. All right, guys, so... Uh, I want to move on real quick to probably my favorite part about gnomes, and that is the gnome-specific pantheon that you find in um, Mordecai's Tome of Foe, uh, Tome of Foes. Now, there is really one gnome god and a bunch of like sub gods that answer to him. Are and they like one... demigods or minor deities? What What do you mean sub? No, it I. I wouldn't say there's so much demigods as they are. They have their own uh, domains. They have their own purpose. They are legit gods. This is the but other one's being an all father, kind of. Kind of like being a being a you know subsect of a racially specific pantheon. The 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 um, other gnomish gods don't pack the same punch as say your Coralon or Bahamut would, right? But they sure, okay. st they're still there, and they still have divine power. They these are things your cleric, your gnome cleric, could pray to all the way up to ninth level and still get spells. Okay. I'm just gonna go through the list real quick, kind of cover what they do. Um, but before I get into that, I want to talk about where the gnome gods reside, and they reside in a place called um, the Golden Hills, which is a subsect of the Bitopia plane, which is the between chaotic good and neutral good plane. Yeah, okay. So they're more neutral than elves, but only by a freaking hair. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, they're not these beings of utter chaos that a lot of players play them as. Um, and a lot of DMs put gnomes in their campaigns for this utter chaos. They're not, man. They have, they have their own set of laws and beliefs that gnomes follow. Um, so they, they do tend more towards the neutral and good side of the alignment spectrum. And that is reflected in their gods that, for the most part, reside in the Golden Hills in Bitopia. Um, chief most of all of the gods is Garl Glittergold, who's the lawful good god of trickery. Um, he That's is the worst a... fucking name. I disagree. <laughs> Such a gnome name. No, it's, it's not it even a gnome iconic. name. Iconic. No, no. Garl Glittergold is like a mafioso lieutenant. He's like, hey. You guys, I seen you scratch my fucking car. My name is Garl Glittergold. You could call me Mr. Glittergold. My friends call me Garl. No, it's a bullshit name. <laughs> I, I dis. Well, we're it. we're gonna get to more bullshit names that I will massacre here in just a sec. <laughs> I'm always excited about Dan trying to pronounce D and D names. Makes me very happy. They're so bad. This is so oh, hard. Mine are going to be terrible, too, if I have to say any of them. Because <laughs> when I listen to you guys, I'm like, that's not how I say that word at all. 
<laughs> uh, you got that Midwest accent. It, it's come through a couple times and I've let it slide, but there's a couple of the like Midwest things that get in here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, there it is. From now on, whenever I say we're going to play Curse of Strayed, I'm going to think of you, Peps. <laughs> I say Strad. Strad. <laughs> Strad. I didn't think I had an accent until the internet told me that I did. The best part Funny of that, enough, everyone listening to this is going to laugh because you're like, I didn't think I had an accent. <laughs> you can't even say the it's word. It's hilarious. The word accent <laughs> highlights the Midwestern accent better than any other word other than plastic bag. Peps, huh? say plastic oh, bag. <laughs> plastic bag. Oh See? my god. <laughs> The first time, so I, I married a Midwesterner. So like the first time I went grocery shopping with my wife and she asked for plastic bags, I almost died. I'm like, what the hell just came out of your mouth? I don't hear anything uh, wrong with it. It's yeah, <laughs> Pep has no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, right? So anyways, right. we're going to go through the gods here, um, which there is, uh, depending on the gnome community you go to, there's anywhere from between nine to 11 gods that they uh, revere. Uh, so not all gnome communities will worship all of these gods and the gnomes are okay with that. It's just part of the fluid nature of the gnome pantheon. Chief most and in every single last one of them will be Garl Glittergold, who of course is lawful good. Um, his symbol is a uh, golden nugget um, and he is all about trickery and treasure and... Um, not to hoard to himself, but to uh, like dispense and and use as reward for fun tricks or interesting creations or new discoveries. Yeah, but um, he's a is, very generous god. This I like is that why. he's lawful, but also tricky. Like, yeah, and this is why people have gnomes. Like, why I say, yeah, they're all tricksters, or people are like, oh, they're all whimsical, and that's just about it. Is because their main fucking god is kind of a dick at a party. Yeah, I, I, I could see how you say that. Um, but, like, he mainly pulls tricks. Like, a gnome will never go, like, above their station for a trick. They will just go on their level. So, well, they you need won't a step see... Ha-ha! Uh, you won't see Garl Glittergold messing with the, the, you know, the more common everyday... Uh, races because that's that's not what he does but what he will do is he'll mess with Corlon or Groomsh or uh, Bahamut he'll mess with these gods just for the laughs right and again it's never malicious right he's just an equal opportunity prankster I can see Bahamut having like none of it <laughs> oh Bahamut probably gets annoyed with his shit I, Groomsh it just like eggs him on I actually like inside of Mordenkainen's they say like he will often, like, when a Garl cavorts with mischief on his mind, Morden's beard might end up woven with giggling flowers, which, for the Forge God, that's hilarious. Um, and Groomsh, Groomsh's axe, I hate Groomsh, it's such a hard word to say. Groomsh's axe could sprout braying donkey heads at the most inopportune time. What is the most inopportune time for your axe to start braying like a donkey? Um, when you're sharpening it on a grinding wheel. Ooh. When you're trying Does to be sharpen his axe? <laughs> like, like, yeah. And, and remember, it's not just making, making donkey noises. 
it's sprouting heads. So I'm picturing you yeah. on like a freaking whetstone, just like like grinding that wheel, and all of a sudden a donkey head sprouts, and now it's just. I mean, that's that's messy. Mm. Or when you're trying to it's, sleep. It's it's actually one of the things about gnomes that I I, I also further love is the fact that a lot of their uh, focus is not only on tinkering, but also illusion. Gnomes are widely regarded as one of the smartest races in, in D&D. And because of that, um, they tend to go brains over brawn. So from Garl Glittergold all the way down, this focus on illusion magic to kind of throw up some subterfuge and get out rather than engage in a full-on fight... Uh, kind of permeates the entirety of gnomish society. However, when a gnome does need to fight, they're going to bring it just as hard as everybody else. Um, namely, Garl Glittergold does have a named intelligence two-handed battle axe that uh, is, as it says in the book, capable of cleaving through any substance. Nice. I like it. Mm. So, yeah. Anyways, we're going to move on to the rest of the gods here because I've been Gushing over Garl Glittergold a bit too long. Can you please never say gushing again? That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, you first there, bud. Anyway, so uh, Bear Van Wild Wanderer is your first of the gods alphabetically. She is the neutral good uh, gnomish god of woodlands and nature. Next is Baravar Cloak Shadow. Well, hold on, hold on, hold Clo- on. You passed over the most interesting thing about her. She is a, a little gnomish woman with the face of a raccoon. Yes, she is. I just think that that is fucking hilarious. That is that is a gnomish god that has to carry a comb to brush her face. Well, the the interesting thing here is uh, she has a constant companion in Chicktica Fastpaws, which is a giant raccoon that she lives with and is basically her animal companion. Um, How much they weed are... do you have to smoke before you're allowed to name a gnome deity? All of it. The answer is all of it. Okay. I was just double checking. Yeah. Um, one of one of the things... Uh, Stay tuned after the podcast for me naming a bunch of gold, digging freaking the other th- gnome deities, because my God, we're going <laughs> to pop off. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> the other thing about Bear Van and uh, Chick Tika that I really, really do enjoy is them messing specifically with Groomsh by uh, stealing his breakfast or peeing in their shoes. I fucking hate gnomes, Dan. Just just hurry up so we can end this fucking episode. <laughs> okay. There's uh, Barovar Cloak Shadow, who is the neutral good god of illusion and deception. Um, domains are arcana and trickery. Um, note, neutral good, so not an evil god of uh, deception. Uh, the symbol is a dagger against a hooded cloak. And this is basically your thief gnome god. Um, Probably arcane trickster specifically. Yep. Um, she, again, is female and does a lot of, um, she does a lot of gifting to the gnomes their special form of magic to be able to escape or hide or get out of um, binds that they find themselves in. Um, she is often attributed as the reason why forest gnomes and deep gnomes have this innate magic within them. That comes from Barivar. Then there's Blelred who is the neutral god of labor and craft, um, whose symbol is a iron mule. I like him because he's one of the only three gnomish gods that doesn't have a last name. 
Yeah, and and there's honestly not that much detailed about him. Thank he God. Is, Let's move on. Yeah, there's Flandel Steelskin, who is the neutral good uh, gnomish god of forging and creating. Um, Flandel is uh, Flandel is more the god of rock gnomes and everything else. He is. Um, he is just the crafting god. Uh, his little special realm in the Golden Hills is often um, alight with activity and crafting. Uh, he really encourages that tinkering aspect to all of gnomes. Specifically rock gnomes, though, but he's his, it says his province is metalwork. So I would say that it's it's not just rock gnomes, it's heavy metal gnomes, too. Yeah, I mean, one of the fun things about him is it's mentioned that he does have a gigantic nose, which uh, is a physical trait of a lot of rock gnomes as well. They will have these gigantic schnozzes. And one of the reasons for that is because it is said that he can smell ore more strongly than a wolf can smell a skunk. I was pretty sure that because you're a rock god, you need a big nostril to be able to appreciate the better things in life. (laughs) Sniffing the wrong kind of crystals there, Adam. The wrong time. The wrong kind. Yeah. Um, speaking of crystals and, uh, stone, there is Kaladurin Smoothhands, who's the true neutral god of mining. There's not much to say about him other than Kaladurin is the patron of the Deep Gnomes. He, uh, leads them through the Underdark and guides them in their mining and creating practices as well. Can I just say that if I make, if I make a character whose last name is Smoothhands, that's creepy as fuck. Why are we giving this guy a free pass? I no, I I like it because he's the god of mining. Jesus, he he's the god of mining, and his name is Smooth Hands. Yeah, I I'm not sure uh, about you, Adam, but I am a carpenter. I'm a tradesman. I work with my hands for a living, and I have some gigantic calluses on my hands. That's like they're not what I would call smooth. Like my dad's really big friend, we call Tiny. Yeah, I, uh, I bet that his hands are just like pockmarked and giant, massive, like gnarly, gross knuckles and shit. Like, I think it's it's got to be ironic, but mm-hmm. you got to ask, why do they call him smooth hands? So there, there is Gerdal uh, Iron Hand, who is the gnomish god of protection. She is basically uh, another one of these uh, gods who protects the Golden Hills and... Um, she doesn't, she's the one gnome god that doesn't enjoy prankery. Uh, she doesn't enjoy uh, any of those except for those that are played against Garl Glittergold himself. Uh, those she loves. Yeah, she's uh, all about the irony, hey? Ha ha! Because her symbol is Gelf- an iron band. That's that's that joke. Yes. That's, that's yeah. yeah. Uh, there's Gelf Darkhearth who is the chaotic neutral god of frustration and destruction um, with the domains of war. Only the uh, fucking gnomes would have a god of frustration. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They, uh, their sign is the uh, broken anvil. And again, is one of these gods that we don't have a lot of information about. Um, There's Nebulin, who is the chaotic good gnomish god of invention and luck. Um, whose symbol is a bellows and a lizard's tail. Uh, Nebulin, who is also known as the meddler, is uh, foolishly fearless. B- 
basically what uh, they will do is they will craft these interesting and intricate devices purely to pull as pranks on people. And that is what their main focus is. Um, this is another one of the gnomish gods that is male um, and often has to uh, be reined in by Garl because he is always ready to go and do some sort of excur- uh, excursion to prank somebody. I feel like that's rife with uh, with hilarious possibility. Like they're sitting there trying to come up with a plan. Like, all right, yeah, you're going to pee in his shoes and I'm going to sit down and turn his mustache purple. And then this motherfucker steps up and he's like, yeah, and I'm going to circumcise him. Like, no, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing is he's chaotic good. And and I'm, I'm, I'm really hammering the uh, alignments on these guys for one very specific reason that I will get to in a minute. But uh, they, the, the, the pantheon here... A lot of them are like this guy is the one who gets closest to that line of of uh, the pranks going too far. Yeah, but he just yeah. doesn't realize they're too far. Like he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't mean them to be too far. Do you think that this is like the good side? Because every time that they get in trouble, all the gnome gods just cry. Like we didn't mean it. <laughs> um, we just no, because I think. Funny. Yeah, yeah it, it'll be a, that. We just thought it was funny. And then, you know, they'll throw a smoke bomb made of pure glitter on the ground. And then they'll turn around and all the gnome gods have disappeared. Oh, that is gnomes the glitter definitely bomb. invented the glitter bomb mail thing. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. There is real clever thrush who is a lawful neutral god of law and thought. Um, their symbol is an interlocking gears. And again, this is one of those gods that isn't detailed heavily. Um, but the the god of law for a gnomish society and like law and thought. So this this god is going to be mostly about obtaining information and delving deep into secrets and knowledge that is uh, hidden. That's going to be their main goal. There is Shayana Flexenstrand, who is the uh, chaotic good gnomish god of love, beauty, and passion. Uh, their symbol is, uh, well, her symbol is two silver goblets. And her suggested domain, funny enough, is light. I mean, sure. Why, why not? Yeah. Every, every deity, every pantheon has to have a love god. And, and here it is. Um, then the final two, and and by no means the least, are uh, Segojan, Earthcaller, and Erdlin. I'm going to cover Segojan first because they're very compelling. They are the god of the grave and death. His symbol is a glowing gemstone. And uh, it is often regarded that Segojan is um, the best cook among all of the gnome gods and can heal any sickness. Segojan is very much the uh, one who wants to make sure gnomes don't uh, feel any pain or sorrow and often will gift meals to gnomes whose restorative powers can say knock any sort of curse or illness out. Um, the other note about Segojan is forest gnomes specifically are said to get their ability to speak to small woodland animals um, from Segojan um, because of the use of the small burrowing animals as messengers and in gnome lore the the carrying of the dead and and the caring of the dead finally 
on the list is the only evil gnomish god. And this is Erdlin, uh, who is chaotic evil. He, his uh, domains are death and war. He has province over greed and murder. And his symbol is a white-clawed mole emerging from the ground. Erdlin is basically the one crafting god that is the anti-gnome. He is the one that uh, when Garl Glittergold called for all of the gods to work together in the gnomish pantheon, he's the one that defied that order, wanting instead to be in charge of his own stuff. And because of that, Garl banished him from uh, Bytopia and the Golden Hills. So he is the only god in the gnomish pantheon that does not reside within the Golden Hills. Where is he? Um, I would suspect that he is actually uh, probably wandering the material plane is where I would put him, causing as much mischief and whatnot as he can. But uh, he's not a god of trickery, though. I don't no, I don't see that. I think if he's wandering the, the prime material plane, he's down in the underdark mining for shit, right? He's a white clawed mole emerging from ground, right? It says to me that he just wants to be left the fuck alone to get as much gems and jewels and whatnot as he can. I mean, yeah, but I mean, they, they, a lot of gnomes think Erdlin is, is influencing them when, when they feel those feelings, like when they feel negative emotions, all of that is from Erdlin. So like jealousy, greed, those kind of things they, they, they say is from him. So like him being buried deep underground, it doesn't track for me, but him being like, conniving trying to get his like get even is definitely something i see um erdlin being he i wouldn't consider him a massive threat to a gnome character um but he is definitely the the if you're playing an evil gnome look into erdlin he's he's an intriguing enough character hold on i gotta backtrack a sec you think that because he's in the underdark he can't impact regular gnome life but you have no problem with fucking mr glitter gold and his fucking posse of peoples, and the, and you have no problem with them being on another fucking plane, and still impacting gnomes. I mean, no, I I I really don't because of uh, the gnomish commune kind of thing does echo shades of covens, and the gnomish pantheon is stronger together. The one gnomish god who was banished off on his own isn't going to have the same impact as the rest of the gnomish pantheon put together spearheaded by Garl Glittergold. I mean, I don't know where you're getting that from. I, I don't have any information to argue that point, but I did not <laughs> get that impression at all. They, Yeah, they promote community, but not really power through community, but invention through community. And Erdlin is very much about death and war and greed and murder and, again, emerging from the ground. Ah. That says Underdark to me more than anything else, especially because That's we fair. have Sverf Neblin, right? All right, guys. So that is going to cover all of the Gnomish Pantheon. Is there anything we want to add in there or discuss about? I mean, I just love all their names. They just crack. Yeah. I don't really, I'm going to be honest, I'm shit with names and I couldn't tell you what any of them are, even though you just said them all. But I loved them <laughs> all at the same time. They, well, they let's, did let's, all let's, just like they. It feels like a blur because it, they're it, so. It does because all of the names are weird and fanciful. They are. Um, so I let's, smiled at all of them, though. <laughs> so let's do away with the the fancy names and get into the 
crunchy, the meat of it, the, the, the mechanics. Your base gnome, not including the subspecies or subraces, will have a plus two bonus to intelligence. This translates their uh, reputation of being one of the smartest uh, or inherently smartest races. Um, as we said before, they come to maturity at about 40, but live to be about 500, between 350 and 500. Um, in terms of alignment, most gnomes are going to be good. Um, this is because they want to discover and uh, create, and a lot of that is for the benefit of the world and themselves. Um, they are quite altruistic, but I don't think it's necessarily intentional. That is just the way that they are, right? Um, is it truly altruism then, or is it just generosity? I, I, I think it, it blurs the line between the two. Um, and I don't think it is, I don't think it's intentional. I think it just gnomes themselves. Everything they do is for the betterment of everyone. So like, and that's just their frame of mind. I don't think it's necessarily altru altruism because a gnome will selfishly hoard materials if that's what they need to work on whatever their obsession is. But they I feel, genuinely I feel like once believe that. Once they've gotten it, once they've succeeded with their obsession or... They've run out of shit or they've like, hey, I really wanted to make a pickaxe that glows in the dark. You can always find it when you're underground. And hey, look, I made like six of these. I don't need to make any more. Uh, so, you know, you guys take them. I don't care. Over here, I'm going to make a backhoe, right? Like, and it just, I feel like it's going to be, it's it's not so much that they're charitable so much as they, they just. They have ADD. Yeah. It's like they don't give a shit about ownership. Yeah, right. I, 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 I would, I would agree, and that that's going to uh, play into the fact that they're tricksters and pranksters as well. A lot of gnomes end up going the route of the rogue because of the whole stealing and being able to sneak into places to, you know, pull these pranks. So, anyways, moving on. Um, size: they are treated as small. Uh, of the players' handbook races, they are one of two that are small-sized, um, them and halflings, but they are a little bit taller than halflings, averaging between three and four feet tall and about 40 pounds. Their uh, walking speed is 25 feet. I mean, they're little. This tracks. They have dark vision because of their uh, becoming accustomed to a life underground or in dense forest where light maybe doesn't permeate as well. Um, they have advantage on all intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws against magic with their gnome cunning. This plays into the fact that gnomes are the pranksters, not the prankies. That's, so a lot of their... Sorry, that's just fucking annoying. I gotta say, I forgot that every time that I play a gnome, I don't think I've ever <laughs> remembered that I had that ability. 90% of gnomes forget that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I played one from level, what was it, 8 to 20, and I think I rolled with advantage on one of those saves maybe three times. I need to, like, and highlight that on my character sheet so I remember. Yeah. It, and it's not like they're uncommon. Wisdom saves are one of the, uh, uh, they're, Adam, arguably the second most common form of save that you have to hit. Maybe charisma? Uh, I like Dex is obviously the most, and then uh, yeah. it's a toss up depending on your campaign whether it's going to be wisdom or or charisma. You get wisdom checks more, but I think that depending on magical saves, like true magic spells, a lot of it's charisma. 
a lot of magical abilities, monster abilities, spell-like abilities, or wisdom saves. So, yeah. I mean, however you want to split that. So, uh, and finally, gnomes can speak, read, and write common and gnomish. Uh, gnomish does use the dwarven script, so there is that little harken back to their connection with dwarves. Um, but for the most part, it is their own formed language uh, itself. So, Guys, I, I do... So, sorry, how much do they weigh? About 40 pounds. So do halflings, and halflings are smaller, which means in my head, gnomes are skinnier? Did not see that coming. I, I would say gnomes are lankier. Um, a, a, well, let's put it this way. A halfling will never miss a meal. A gnome might. Yeah, they'd be working too hard and forget that okay. it was meal time. Right. I've been there. Guys, I, I want to move on. I want to know if uh, what you guys think about gnomes in terms of uh, as a player, as a DM, whether or not you like them. But I would be remiss if I did not mention Curdlemac and Kobolds. Curdlemac is the god of kobolds. Kobolds and gnomes have a notorious lifelong um, hatred for each other. They... Uh, are often seen as bitter rivals all the way through. And depending on which kobold or which gnome you talk to, there's going to be different reasons for this. But for most gnomish characters, that old-fashioned hatred of kobolds is going to pop up. Um, now, Kirtlemac, of course, is the kobold race's god. He is... Uh, I, I believe in his pantheon are things like, or sorry, in his domains are things like uh, slavery and uh, also trickery uh, because he's the god that gives kobolds their ability to make all the traps that they do. Um, now, based off of Mordekainen's, the lore about why gnomes and kobolds hate each other so much is because kobolds were sick and tired of being used as the slaves by dragons, so they looked for another race that could easily be enslaved and they got the gnomes the gnomes were uh then enslaved by the kobolds for centuries until this garl glittergold character came up and started messing specifically with kirtlemac just in order to like free the gnomes from the uh their their life of slavery this culminated in garl glittergold egging kirtlemac on uh, into a massive labyrinth and then teleporting out with a smile and a wink and then collapsing the entire cavern on this endless ca uh, endless uh, labyrinth with Curdlemac still inside and a lot of kobolds, their entire drive to this day is to find and free their buried god. You see, that's a really, really different story than the kobolds tell. According to Volo's Guide to Monsters, the god of kobolds was a vassal of Tiamat. And when the gnome god Garl Glittergold stole a treasure from Tiamat's horde, she sent Kirtlemac to retrieve it. And Garl lured his pursuer into a maze-like cavern and then collapsed the exits behind him, trapping Kirtlemac for all, for all eternity. He yeah. despises all life except for kobolds, and he especially hates Garl Glittergold and gnomes and fake creatures that enjoy playing pranks. 
He taught the first kobolds how to mine, tunnel, hide, and ambush, and he's dominated by his emotions, which are intelligent, but not wise. So, it has nothing to do with slavery at all from the kobold standpoint. And as a matter of fact, there's nothing that I can find in Volos that actually says anything about them enslaving gnomes. I, I guess means, that's going to be the differencing of perspectives. Yes, I, mean, I, I absolutely think that that is on purpose. I think that they're giving yeah. you different perspectives on purpose. I just wish that they would say that and like there would be a little meta commentary that say, that's not what gnomes believe. We'll go over here and read about that. Yeah, that's the like two sides to every story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys. So let's grab our dice uh, as we wrap up this first topic here. I want to know... Do gnomes interest you as a player? Why or why not? And as a DM. So let's roll. I got a four. I got a 13. I got a 13. Roll off, peps. <gasps> Ooh. <laughs> so exciting. Uh, I got a 10. I got a two. I'm going last. No, wait, Dan, you got a four. I'm going second. Yeah, I'm All going right. last. Peps, what do you got? Ooh. Um, I... Love gnomes. I've played two of them, so they most definitely interest me as a player. Um, <laughs> I've only DM'd once for my children, so I'm fairly new at it. I'm writing another sort of story for them, so I really had to think about like a DM and NPCs and that kind of thing. But when I came up with my NPC idea, like I have a whole like campaign idea based on this NPC gnome that really excites me. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> I love him. Adam, what about Adam, what about you? Nah, I don't care. Like, Why? I, 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 yeah, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> there's nothing that you have said that has like dragged me in. Yeah, sure. Trickster. Sure. Uh, yeah. I think that there's a whole bunch of hypocrisy all the way through all the shit that, that they talk about with the gnomes. The idea that they're all pranksters. All of them are pranksters. But a bunch of them are are lawful, and they're all resting on good and not neutral, which doesn't totally stack with me. Sure, some, but no, most of them aren't. The fact that we've got a lawful good trickster god doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I feel like the Pantheon's not that well thought out. I feel like uh, you said there's just not a whole bunch of information about some of them, and maybe they're freaking ought to be. Maybe we ought to put more thought into it and not just rely on dms to make shit up as they go or players to just not be interested enough to provide them with with the source material i think that gnomes probably don't get a fair shake in the player's handbook or in mordenkainen's um and uh i think especially with with deep gnomes there's not a whole lot of lore out there for them you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting yourself as a dm and as a player and while it may be fun to be whimsical i can be whimsical in other ways and i'll rely on my class as a bard or a rogue or even, you know, I could, I could work that into any background or personality I want. I don't need to be a gnome to do it. And honestly, I'm choosing favorites on this, guys. I prefer halflings. There it is. I said it. Well, that's because you're a min-maxer. That makes sense. <laughs> you are an idiot. You are, you are just, <laughs> and I'm just unapologetic. Well, I mean, no, I, I, I will, I will go out there and agree with you that that mechanically a halfling is far better, and uh, I will agree with you further in saying that a gnome is not as well supported as I feel like it can be. I do I not f- think that a, that a halfling is is mechanically better. I don't. Yeah, lucky's annoying, but it's going to pop up every once in a while. The halfling lucky trait 
It's not going to pop up on every... It's the most powerful, like, racial trait in the game. You have a 5% chance of triggering it. How many Uh, spells... How many spells do you cast against your players? Way more than 5% of attacks. Except it's not just spells that you could use Lucky for. It's any roll of a d20. If you roll a natural one, you get to roll it again. Yeah, but it's that's it's when a player rolls a natural one, right? How many halfling wizards there are rolling d20s or relying on dcs, right? Like there are things out there, like they're they're relying on spell saves. There are some levels and some different character builds and whatnot where. This halfling lucky trait is not going to come up as often as other times. The no, I, I I don't know. I disagree because like you got skill checks, you got saves, you got death saves, you've got weapon attacks, you've got uh, targeted spell attacks, you've got any any roll of a d twenty can be affected by halfling luck. Whereas you look at gnomes and with rock gnomes you get the ability to tinker. With uh, forest and, uh, gnomes and deep gnomes you get some innate magical ability. But that's often once per short rest. That's not that great, right? So, like, it 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 doesn't balance well in my mind. I do feel like halflings are ahead when it comes to um, mechanically being strong. But I agree with you in the in the respect that gnomes are often you they often feel like an afterthought. And no, like a uh, hold on, hold on. I gotta back you up a sec. Lucky only kicks in when you roll a one and an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. And then you have to use the new roll, right? So it's essentially one re-roll, but only when you, the player, are doing it. When the DM rolls to hit you, you don't get to tell them what to do, but you get this advantage when when other people yes. are, are rolling against you when you're a gnome. So, yes, but when you consider how bad a, na- a natural one is on any one of those ability checks attack rolls or saving throws a natural that's one come is up not an automatic failure on ability checks or on on saves it's not an automatic failure i know but if you have a death save and you roll a natural one that's not going to happen with a halfling not nearly as often uh, i just like i honestly think that with the this advantage on all intelligence wisdom and charisma saving throws against magic that's huge it's way bigger than you're making it out to be. And so no. I feel like the two of them are at the very least in the same conversation. So I don't necessarily say that halflings are mechanically better. I just, from a flavor standpoint, I like halflings because there's, uh, they're not boiled down to whimsical pranksters, which is how a lot of people... I just think people misuse gnomes. I would really like to see gnome society. The idea that they're rare or they like to have little communes that mine doesn't give them enough you know, due diligence or, or justice from Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. They should have put more effort into them, is my point. I, I, I agree with you there. So um, and, and that's why I say I'm disinterested because I don't think they're supported well enough for me to put a whole lot of time and effort into into what I need out of, out of a gnome. Whereas halflings are pretty straightforward what you get, but you get the nomads and you get the people that are dealing with and around in society. And some of them, I mean, they're built to be kind of rogues, but they can be rangers and this and that and like other things as well. As gnomes or wizards or rogues, right? And that's that, that's mechanically uh, kind of what, I, you're, what you're in for. I, I mean, I, artificers I as well now, honestly, as well. So my complaint about gnomes is just how 5th Ed um, doesn't support them. And honestly, I run deep, dark, gritty campaigns 
and Pepperina Sparkle Gem, the the goddess of glitter, <laughs> the the dragon queen, however you want to say it, would would derail that campaign so quickly. Vampire so. queen of Barovia. So <laughs> yes, I go the, by the, many names. <laughs> the rider of Strahd. <laughs> Um, no, I, I think that, uh, that I would have to do a, look, gnomes are great for fun little one shots. I like gnomes for Christmas one shots and, and shit like that. Great. No problem. Um, but I tend to run darker, grittier campaigns. And honestly, I'm a little fucking tired of gnomes because of, uh, of this last campaign that we did. And I had to stare across the table at a. At a gnome for a year and a half. So, in Lockie's defense, in my defense, let's be honest, because I was the one who played that gnome, it worked. Like, he wasn't a bubbly, colorful, like, the the guy had demons that he had to exercise from, from himself. Right, right? But, like, that, but that's my point, is you had to play against type in order to make it interesting. Which is why, yeah. But at the same time, I still, I still played into type with things like the fact that he was a tinkerer. Now I wish we did more of that. But bullshit. It just never really. No, bullshit. Dan, I'm sorry. I got to pause everything. No, you're good. Dan did not play into type for a gnome. Dan tinkers in every character. Dan doesn't know that how is, to nope. not tinker. So that is not because it was a gnome. So no, I'm calling bullshit on that. That's you just, just Dan's you a cannot tinker. play. A, yeah, Dan cannot play a character that is not either a tinkerer or a keeper of arcane lore they've always got to be teaching or or learning or investigating i challenge dan to play an average intelligence character not super dumb oscar the york not super intelligent lachlan jiminy fidgens boyle or rezu middle of the road Middle of the road character, as far as intelligence goes, literally for the next campaign we have charisma. we have lining up here, Adam. For the next campaign, when 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 we finally sit down to play, the next character I'm playing is a, uh, I believe a half elf cleric, is what his current incarnation good, is. Good. I'm just like uh, like you you relying on. Oh, I was playing a gnome. Bullshit. You said no. I, I'm a hundred percent. You and I, more you than me, put some time and effort into building a chart that I could roll for tinkering. That's because I built you would not multiple shut up about items, it, and I needed to define that shit because you were going crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was great. <laughs> Anyways, we are going to move on to a commercial now before we get into our specific subclasses. Hey guys, Dan here. If you remember this time last year, us here at the It's a Mimic podcast were working on and releasing a small Call of Cthulhu campaign. Because hey, it's that spooky time of year, and what's more spooky than the Elder Gods slowly invading our reality, bending our minds to their wills, making us sacrifice to further their dark sirens' calls. <coughs> Anyways, um, by popular demand, we're at it again. This time helmed by the podcast's own keeper of arcane secrets, Adam. Starting on October 13th and then every 13th of the month for the next year, the story I started in Radiance Yukon will continue towards a little southern rural town named Amelia. So make sure you download and listen to the many roads to Amelia. And if you're hungry for more Call of Cthulhu actual play, you can always refresh your lore with the deep dark of Radiance in our back catalog. Anyways, back to the show. 
And we're back. Yay! Yay. So uh, now is the fun part of the episode. This is the part where we break down the sub-race mechanics. Uh, Each of us has one of the options available to us in the uh, PHB. So let's grab our dice and roll to cover our sub-race. I got an 11. I got a 4. I got a 3. All right, so I guess I'll go first. You're always going first on this. Rock gnomes. Ah, my favorite. Okay, so um, with rock gnomes, we have a natural inventiveness and hardiness that goes beyond that of a normal gnome. Um, Rock gnomes are the most numerous of gnomes in D&D 5e lore as it stands right now. Um, So these are going to be the most common type of gnome you come across. These These are your as close to vanilla gnome as you could get. Uh, their additional ability score increase is constitution. This reflects their a little additional hardiness that they uh, have. Um, they have Artificer's Lore as an ability, which is whenever you make a history check related to magic items, alchemical objects, devices, you basically get expertise with that history check. You get double your proficiency bonus. Also... Um, and finally, with a rock gnome, you get the Tinker ability. And what this does is gives you proficiency with artisan's tools, specifically Tinker's tools. And then when you use those tools, you could spend an hour of time and 10 gold worth of materials to construct tiny clockwork devices. They cease to function after 24 hours unless you spend up to one hour repairing it to keep the device working. When you use your action... To dismantle it, or, or they will also stop when you use your action to dismantle it if you want to do that during combat. Um, if you do do that, you can reclaim the materials. Uh, you can reclaim the materials of that creation. You can only have up to three such devices at any given time, and they give some examples. However, as a DM, I would encourage you to work and. Uh, as a DM, I would encourage you to work with your players. Players of gnomes, I would encourage you to work with your DMs to come up with really cool, interesting, tiny clockwork creations that you could come up with a, as a rock gnome. But their options here are a clockwork toy, which is a small clockwork animal, m- monster, or person, such as a frog, mouse, bird, dragon, or soldier. Again, these are tiny sized. When placed on the ground, the toy moves up to five feet across the ground. On each of your turns in a random direction, it makes noises as appropriate to the creature it represents. So basically, this is a small clockwork tin soldier that you can use as a distraction or a uh, messenger if, if you manage to program it well with your DM. Fun little toy here. You get a fire starter, which is a miniature flame that you could use to light candles or torches or campfires. Using the device requires your action. This is a Zippo lighter, just a slow one that probably has a couple extra gizmos and switches in order to generate the flame because it requires your full action to activate. And finally, there's a music box, which is a traditional like jewelry box that you guys would have in your homes. Um, When opened, this music box plays a single song at a moderate volume. It stops playing when the song, when it reaches the song's end, or when it's closed. So these are fun little ideas that you could throw out there as um, things you could tinker with. So that's me. That's that's what a tinker gnome 
provides. A rock gnome provides. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I, I like it. it. It is everything that you come to expect from a gnome. It really truly is. Of course. The only thing it's missing is the illusion magic uh, focus, which, I mean, is covered with some of the other sub-races. Yeah, that's in your forest. No. <laughs> which, speaking of which. That's me. Yay. <laughs> Um, all right, so as a forest gnome, you have a natural knack for illusions. They are an, an inherent quickness and stealth. Um, they are the most rare and secretive of the gnomes in the D&D world. They have hidden communities in sylvan forests using illusions and trickery to hide themselves. So even if you are near them, you're not going to know that you're near them because they are magically hidden. Cool. Um, they tend to be friendly with other good-spirited woodland folk and regard elves and good fae as their most important allies. Uh, these gnomes also befriend small forest animals and rely on them for information. So cool. you get an ability score increase to your dexterity by one. You get natural illusionist. Um, so you know the minor illusion cantrip and intelligence is your spellcasting ability for it. And you get speak with small beasts. Through sounds and gestures, you can communicate simple ideas with small or smaller beasts. Uh, forest gnome love animals and often keep squirrels, badgers, rabbits, moles, woodpeckers, and other creatures as beloved pets. So that's your forest gnome. Cool. I, I, I really like forest gnomes. They, they're more of that fey whimsy that, yeah. that you find, whereas, whereas rock gnomes are... Uh, it would be not uncommon to see a rock gnome with like soot covering his face from one of his uh, experiments exploding. That's literally one of the pictures in one of the books. I know. It's great. It's one of my favorite pictures. <laughs> I actually, so, when I think of a gnome, I think of a forest gnome. Rock gnomes are those gnomes that like to sit in wizard's towers and fuck with shit they probably shouldn't. Um, and forest gnomes seem like the ones that are, they're Keebler elves. They're, they're the ones that are out there in nature trying to be... I don't want to say that they're pranksters necessarily, but I think that they're definitely going to be more on that spectrum than a than a rock gnome will. Yeah, but yeah, they're that's like illusion magic and that kind of stuff. And they're more like that's what uh, original Peps was a forest gnome. I think they're more likely to come across random adventures too and just get into mischief. So hold on, you've played Pepperina as two kinds of gnomes. Pepperina was a forest gnome. Um, more recently, I created a rock name called a rock gnome named Ellis Umtrowl, I believe was her name. Very nice. I approve. <laughs> um, and I made her for a couple of one shots that I did um, through the D&D community online um, with the initiative order and with Got DM. Okay. Uh, she was a lot of fun to play too, and I will talk about her a little bit later with my character idea. What's uh, what's your favorite, forest or rock? Uh forest. Yeah, I don't really use the like tinkering and that kind of stuff very much, but I did talk with a lot of. Well, she was a druid. Original Peps was a druid, so 
speaking with small beast, uh, one of our party members had a little mouse familiar, so I could talk. That's cute. With the mouse. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, there's always one person in a party that has a familiar, so, and they usually can't talk to them. So your forest gnome can. And then that familiar becomes a little bit more useful. Yeah, that's, 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 that's really the thing about, like, yeah, that that's the, like, often overlooked trait of forest gnomes and fearbolg, I find. That that ability to just communicate with small animals, like it, it's so useful if played on, and you often have to have a if if you have a party that doesn't have a animal companion or a familiar in it, then you have to rely on a DM inserting a lot of those things into the campaign so that you can make use of that ability. Yeah, well, as a player, I would ask a lot too, yeah. like. If we were in a dungeon, I'd say, do I see any rats anywhere, you know? And yeah. remember, insects count for small creatures, right? Like, it doesn't need to be rats or bats, right? It could be centipedes yeah. and spiders and things as well. Yeah, it says small or smaller beasts, so it could definitely be your insects and that sort of thing. I'm going to want to talk to the tapeworm that's in Dan's character. You just, like, put your put your ear up to its to his stomach. And be like, hold on, hold on, I can hear something. <laughs> He says you smell like crap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam, what you got? I have, in my opinion, the superior gnome, which is the Sferf Neblin, also known as the Deep Gnome. Um, there is some conflicting information, depending on where you go, uh, and it's really good to have um, all of the source material available because you are going to run into some things that are a little bit different, but it's mostly in the flavor text, so I'm just going to jump into it. These are not in the player's handbook. They get kind of a, a special mention in the um, DMG, but there's really not a whole lot in there outside of that chart where you just have um, the really base stats uh, at the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide for using these kind of strange monstrous races as playable races, so... Um, yeah, there's like a paragraph up here. Yeah, <laughs> in a little green box. Yeah, and so you get uh, you get a little bit more in the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, and then a strange, almost reflavoring in Mordenkainen's. But let me go into it. So deep gnomes are known as Furfneblin, or I've heard them pronounced Furfneblin, which I like Furfneblin better because it sounds a little bit more I don't know Swedish, um, and. They are similar in some ways, but very different in other ways uh, when it comes to uh, the regular forest rock gnomes. First of all, deep gnomes are, um, they're dour. They're serious. They are not nearly as whimsical or fun, so already they appeal to me, but in comparison. And uh, it says that they share their cousin's obsession with privacy, and their homes below the surface are well guarded and deeply hidden i did not think of gnomes as being particularly private although i can definitely see them hoarding their own material so that gives me a little bit of insight about how gnome society works and i'm wondering are gnomes as rare as we think they are or do they just use illusion magic to stay hidden hmm yeah i don't think they're like rare i think you just don't know that they're there yeah. like it's when I was looking into forest gnomes, it said they're 
they can have a community for centuries and not be noticed. Yeah, and I really... Which brings them into being like the forgotten race. I really, really like that. It's not like... I, while I feel that Wizards of the Coast has forgotten to add enough shit about gnomes, I feel like gnomes themselves are perfectly happy just sitting on the outskirts doing their own thing. And that's true of Spurf Neblin as well. I, I, yeah, they're I, just living their own lives and don't really care what's going on. Yeah. I honestly, and we said this earlier, I think it's a mixture of the two where they have small communities that are hidden and like intentionally hidden. Um, well, they don't want people but, just stumbling upon their giant fucking sex pits, right? Where they're they're having all of their, their gnome orgies. Or all of the little tinkering they want to make sure it's out of the general populace or like out of their hair. Like I'm, they just want their space to do their research. I'm they don't pretty really certain it's, it's want... the sex pits thing, Dan. Anyway, I, I think it's hey, I think I it's more the research. You. Sex pits. <laughs> so um, now, <laughs> whereas gnomes traditionally above the surface um, are at odds with um, kobolds. It's the drow that really get under the skin of these deep gnomes. Um, the Swerf and Evelyn are constantly in danger of being overrun and enslaved by drow. Uh, and so they're constantly being relocated. Or they'll be conquered or just destroyed outright. They're just like... They are the average citizens of the Underdark. They get murdered every time that someone sticks their head up and decides to go on a fucking rampage. Um, so... One of the greatest deep gnome strongholds was called Blingdon Stone, because of fucking of course it was, um, which existed more than <laughs> 2,000 years ago. Um, and then it was overrun by a little more than a century ago by uh, some drow as well. So, like, here we go. So, deep gnomes, um, they've got some, like, racial history, like, historical trauma to them as well, which is why I think they're probably not smiling as much. You know how the elves have racial historical trauma? Um, the deep gnomes really do as well. They have recently reclaimed Blingdon Stone, um, but now they struggle to rid it from all of the nasty, evil influences that have crept into their tunnels and warrens while they were away. Um, so that's a big thing. If I was going to be in the Underdark, I would come across this this deep gnome stronghold. Now you can always tell a deep gnome from a regular gnome because they've got dark earthen skin tones usually gray or some permeation of gray males are bald and beardless and females have short white hair on their heads now here remember i asked you before about body hair it specifically yeah. says in sword coast adventures guide that deep gnomes have little or no body hair and they've got like a stone like look to their skin so they can blend in really well um they hmm. do have adventures and they're just as curious and daring as other races are um but some of them are most of them are out there to find kind of their place among the subterranean races very few of them make their way to the surface and those who do are studying um like arcane arts of illusion in particular um so that they can bring this back to their own lands because that kind of stuff is not available in the underdark to deep gnomes now when you move over to mordenkainen's it doesn't talk so much about them being dour and serious, and it actually says that that they're freaking grumpy. It does say they're pragmatic, but it specifically says the word grumpy. So here we are back hmm. with the high hose. We've, we've they've named one of the seven dwarves. 
The Underdark is, you know, super freaking dangerous, and they endure the life down there because it holds incredible treasures, minerals, gemstones, gold, silver, and platinum. This is why I was thinking that What's-His-Nuts, the evil god... Um, Erdogan? Yeah. That's why I figured he would be in the Underdark, because he was all about greed. That was his thing. And these guys are enduring the life of the Underdark because of the opportunities for minerals and gemstones that are down there. Um, they, yeah, okay, they that tracks. mine the minerals whenever they find a new deposit, especially freaking rubies. So if you don't have Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, here you go, here's a gift. Deep Gnomes, Swerf Neblin, fucking love rubies. They prize it above all other treasure. Um, and really the only sort of pleasure that they get besides having rubies is having really successful mining operations. It says specifically that they will get a thin smile when they find a truly remarkable gem or a discovery lightens and sorry, and such a discovery lightens the mood in an entire enclave for a short period of time. Cool. Now they are super into tunnels and traps and armed guards and they want to make their settlements as uninviting as possible because they don't have armies. So they kind of rely on these other tactics instead. Um, but inside their borders, a deep gnome settlement is kind of like a warren shaped and decorated by the Sfurf uh, and Neblin to make the place welcoming and comfortable to them. Not to medium-sized creatures. They are skilled stonemasons, but they don't really give a shit about what the dwarves and, and other stonemasons in D&D are up to. And they much prefer natural forming rock formations. So they will often do their masonry to either accentuate uh, an, a pre-existing, beautiful, magnificent aspect of a cavern. Or they will just leave it alone altogether. They don't even add straight lines. They prefer curves and swirls and swoops and whatnot. Because they're more natural when they're doing their architectural design. They're also um, an intensely community-minded a little race, and they've got little concern about privacy among themselves. This leads me back to sex pits. They don't close off living spaces <sighs> with doors or window coverings. Most of their homes are sparsely furnished dwellings of one or two rooms, and I'm assuming that these are these are great big sex pits. Bed spaces are You're really often stuck on the sex pit thing, walls, eh? and they're strung with hammocks. Yeah, they are. And they're often um, uh, like absolutely packed full of these small gnomes themselves. Otherwise, they're relatively empty, um, except for like small stone coffers that hold a few personal effects here and there. So, um, and you're going to see that they've got some. You can imagine that these are dark, little, tiny caverns just full of writhing, freaking naked, deep gnome bodies. They do not have lights in here. There's not going to be any incense burning in their sex pits because they've got dark vision with a radius of 120 feet. That's right. You heard that correctly. 120 feet. That's... The only Duragar match that, right? Uh, I don't know that off the top of my head, but that beats a lot of the other dark vision that's out there. Um, you get the deck score increased by one, which is the same as Forest Gnomes. That feels weird to me. I would have thought it would have been Constitution. But that's just because I'm getting kind of dwarven vibes off them. So, I mean, I guess it, it makes a certain amount of sense. Whereas regular gnomes weigh um, 40 pounds and they're like three and a half feet to four feet tall or whatever it is. 
These guys tend to be about six inches or so shorter, but they can weigh 80 to 120 pounds. So they're like broad-shouldered, thick frames. They're they're there to be hardy. Um, and they only live to 200 to 250 years, as opposed to the ridiculous number that you were saying for the other kind of gnomes. 350 to 500? They say that uh, in I... Skag, it says that uh, you've got advantage on stealth checks to hide in rocky terrain. And you can speak, read, and write under common. So that's what you so get. So they get th- out they of... get three languages stock. Sorry, they get three languages stock. Yeah. Jeez. Right. That's that's rare in in five e. It is right. I also double checked. Duragar also have one hundred and twenty feet. Oh, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Um. So the. Uh... The other thing about them that you're going to find in Mordenkainen's is they talk a little bit about um, the fact that their survival depends on avoiding entanglements with other creatures. So they are a little bit xenophobic, but they don't like making enemies. So they're not going to attack the people they don't like. They're just going to run away. Um, They favor neutral alignments. They rarely wish other people ill, um, and they are unlikely to take risks on behalf of others except for those that are dearest to them. Yeah. So... You've got to have a pretty good reason as a player to add them into your um, into your party, right? Like, you've got to come up with a pretty specific reason why you would add a deep gnome. I mean, I guess it would make sense in Out of the Abyss because you're in the Underdark anyway when you get started. But anywhere else, I'm going to raise my eyebrows as a DM and say, okay, sure, but why? The other really yeah, that's, cool... Yeah, that, that's fair. The other really cool thing about um, Deep Gnomes is if your DM is allowing feats, you get a special feat. It's called... Yeah, I saw that in Mordekainen's. It's also in Sword Coast Adventures Guide. So um, no matter your source material, you're going to have access to this. Uh, it's called Sferf Nevlin Magic. You have inherited the innate spellcasting ability of your ancestors, which allows you to cast non-detection on yourself at will without needing material component. Which just further leads into the fact they're paranoid and a little xenophobic. You can also cast each of the following spells once with this ability per long rest. Blindness, deafness, blur, and disguise self. Intelligence is your spellcasting ability for these spells. All four of those spells are heavy hitters. Right? Like, there's a lot of potential there for all four of them. Like, I'm sorry... Getting non-detection at will? Really? Right? That's 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 that that's pretty powerful. Yeah, that's why when I said earlier that I'm not sure that, that halflings are more um are are more powerful mechanically. I was actually thinking about deep gnomes because that feat alone is massive. Yeah, I, I could see the argument with that feat considered. I, I could see where you were coming from when considering that feat. And, I mean, your whole your whole deal here is you're going to hide. I don't really see, with the intelligence and dexterity, you're going to be a rogue, right? Like, that's the thing. Your, yep. your dark vision is a radius of 120 feet. You've got advantage on stealth checks and rocky terrain. You get three languages. And then you get this crazy feat with all this other shit, non-detection on top of that. Yeah, man. You're built to be an arcane trickster. Cool. So... And yet, right, is there anything else? They're not whimsical, right? Like, that's the only thing. No, they're gross. So I really feel like you've got to have a read. They are out there to get precious material and gems because, you know, they want rubies. 
There it is. I really like the focus on rubies. In in other passages, it mentions how normal gnomes really like diamonds, and they find diamonds as like something very special. Um, I like the switch here to focus on rubies. Now, in some of my research, they believe that they are spawned from gems. So do they believe they're from rubies? I don't know. It doesn't say that, that specifically in 5th Ed. I remember that being a 3.5 thing, and I know it's a Pathfinder thing. Because, of course, Pathfinder is just the poor man's version of 3.5. Or at least the first edition of Pathfinder was. Um, I do not have an opinion yet about the second edition. But um, I... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like it sounds to me like if you've got, if you have a pantheon. Did did Garl Glittergold? Fuck, I hate saying that. Did our did our main man Mister Glittergold um, decide to have a bunch of gnomes to worship him? So he cast out a bunch of fucking gems and went poof. Here you go. Green ones are forest gnomes. Blue ones are are freaking or I guess diamonds are going to be rock gnomes, and then rubies are going to be deep gnomes. Like, is that the... I, 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 could, I don't I know. There's not that. a lot in the, like, origin creation story when it comes to gnomes. Um, but I, I kind of like that idea because I would have that reflect in the uh, eye color, right? I, I like this this focus, at least with rock gnomes and forest gnomes, how it does mention, like, their bright, vibrant, gem-like eyes, at least uh, tonally. Like their eye color has that gem-like thing. I would do the same for Surf Neblin, where they, where they have like bright red eyes that seem to catch the light. And yeah, they're you know 120 feet away using their dark vision. You're gonna see those little two pips of light, and then those those two pips are gonna go right. Like it, there's that certain um, aspect of the gems being reflected through the eyes that I like to play with my gnomes, and I I, th- I feel adds a little bit of flavor. Yeah, I think that's a lot of fun. I don't see why not. Now that I'm sitting here thinking about Garl Glittergold being a freaking trickster god who's also lawful good, it makes sense to me that he would create these things and say, ha, now you gotta listen to me. And then he runs around yeah, doing no, his own shit. Yeah, no, that tracks. That yeah. tracks. And the greatest prank that he pulled is actually a meta prank because he made fucking Dungeon Masters have to put up with fucking gnomes. You're welcome. <laughs> Anyways... Uh, before we move on to our shadow, is there anything else we want to say about the subclasses here, Pep? Um. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we wrap up, well, no, I just on, want to remind everyone. You didn't ask me if I had anything else to say. I got one more thing. I got a question for you, Dan. How do the okay. different kinds of gnomes feel about each other? We get a lot of interesting drow versus elves and, and shatter Kai. We've got dwarves and Duragar. Do, do the different do the three different sub races of gnomes have strong opinions about each other? What happens when they bump into each other? Do you have any insight on that? Do, do either of you from your research? Because I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything either. However, knowing gnomes like I do, the way I would run it is they are uh, they are distant cousins, right? And and it's the same way you would run into your cousins at a family reunion. Right, like you would be excited to see them, want to know what they've learned recently, like what interesting discoveries have you made, and um, they would be friendly and uh, excited even to see another gnome. the 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 subtype of gnome doesn't matter. I, I in a gnome's mind, I would say, 
what that gnome is researching would be the thing, right? So if if a rock gnome came up to a Zverfneblin, who the rock gnome is a tinkerer and is an expert on the uses of, I don't know, platinum metal specifically, or, or pick some, like he's a master of tungsten. And then you come upon this rock gnome who's all like, oh, no, man, I'm all about, you know, illusion magic or or uh, the 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 science of shadow or whatever it is that this Zverf Nebulon is. Then that rock gnome would be super excited until he hears the area of expertise. And he's like, oh, well, good luck with that. And then goes off to do his own thing. Right. I think the the dividing factor between gnomes isn't going to be subtype or subrace. It's going to be area of expertise and interest. It's funny because I see the Sverf Neblin is saying like, you know, the, the rock gnome or the forest gnome walks up and goes, hey, so what are you studying? And the Sverf Neblin just narrows his eyes and says, why? Yeah, right? Because they're suspicious. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And they were just like, slowly back into the shadows. <laughs> hey, do you think that an interesting enough subject could derail a gnome's obsession. No. Could it create a new obsession? That's what I'm asking. Yes. Right? Like, do you think that it could... Yeah. If, if you are, for example, in the middle of, of, I don't know, doing some sort of jewelry crafting, and somebody else comes by and is like, hey, I'm making fucking telescopes. Wait a minute. You're making what? Telescopes? Like, do you think that would override your previous one? Do you think that gnomes I... have half-finished projects... Because they got distracted by something else? I think they have half-finished projects, but I don't think it's because they've like abandoned a thing entirely. I think it's because if I'm working as a jeweler and someone comes and says, here's a really cool telescope, that jeweler is now going to try to incorporate the telescope science into their jewelry, right? So they'll have that one project that they were working on set aside because that doesn't quite you know retrofit onto a telescope properly. I don't think they replace. I think they are in addition to. So they're going to. Any gnome is just going to. They're going to enhance over time, right? Every, yeah. Right. Any gnome that's old enough has become an expert on a very specific field of whatever bullshit they're up to. One hundred percent. I. I'm. I'm with that. All right. I feel that I'm really identifying with gnomes (laughs) before we talk. Like, them having these cousins just all over the place. I come from a big Polish family. Like, I understand that life. I was at a, like, meat market before. My mom was like, the guy working. She was like, hey, are you so-and-so's kid? And he was like, yeah. And she was like, I'm your cousin. I was like, oh, God. (laughs) We are so Polish. Like, I feel that with gnomes. They would just be out in the world. Like, oh, yeah, I think our parents are second cousins or something. That is getting dangerously close to kender. And I think for stock 5e races, kender... Uh, or sorry, gnomes come the closest to the idea of a kender. And Adam, do you want to enlighten everybody to what a kender is? Fuck no. <laughs> I'm not adding that inspiration uh, out there to the world. We've mentioned kender a couple of times, briefly in passing in previous episodes. Um, and I purposefully think about them all of the time and not bring them up. Because that is not the kind of uh, brain cancer we need to put out there in the world. Well, I want to explain what they are now. They're assholes. They're little fucking halfling thief assholes that don't give a shit about what anybody else say. They are they are literally everybody's second character if you are obsessed with playing a rogue. That is what a kender is. 
right? I, I feel like your first character is a forest gnome because you want to have fun and it's whimsical and you're out on an adventure. Your second character is a kender because you're a dick at that point. You figured out enough of how to be selfish. Your third character is a freaking um, Sferf Neblin because you're like, oh, I want to do something darker and edgier and, and everyone was really mad at my last character, so I'm just going to be mad at everybody else. I'm not going to deal with the party at all. And your last one, you're like Dan, who just sits there, he, he pulls out his freaking... D and D beyond his roll 20. And he, every time that Dan sits on the fucking toilet, he makes a new character. Every time that I get a message from Dan that says, Hey, I made a new character. I'm like, Dan was sitting there doing a stinker tinker. He was sitting there building a new (laughs) character as he's just, as he's, as he's doing his nasty business. And if you're that kind of gnome, then a rock gnome is perfect for you. Be a rock gnome artificer because that's the level of tinkering that you can always be doing in the background to change your shit while still playing one character. So there we go. Those are your four different layers of, of gnomes. You go from forest gnome to fucking kender to, to deep gnome to rock gnome. That's that's the evolution. There we go. I've said my piece. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Adam out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to remind everybody that you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. You could always reach out to us through our email at info at itsamimic.com because we love hearing from you guys. And any questions that you send us will get added to the lists for our upcoming mailbag episodes. And one more time, peps, pimp your shit. Oh, you can find me at pepperina underscore sparkle gym on Instagram. Or you can listen to me play uh, at the Crit Storm cast available on all podcast media. That's awesome. Okay, so guys, we are going to come to some in-game use, some role-playing tips, and uh, some NPC and non-standard character builds for our gnomes. Um, Before we get into rolling the dice, there is one thing I wanted to mention, and that is the final little thing at the end of Mordenkainen's entry on gnomes is a gnome table. This could really assist you in figuring out how to roleplay your gnome. I feel like a gnome table is very low to the ground. uh, Yes, very much so. Um, But these gnome tables give you alternative personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws, which are the kind of things you see in your backgrounds. As a DM, I would let a player add these on top of the background because all of these sound super fun and super interesting. It's funny, though, they all seem to be based solely for forest gnomes and rock gnomes. If you're going to be a deep gnome, you've got a little bit more work cut out for you. You can use these as inspiration, but it's it's not really in the same conversation. Yeah. Um, So, guys, let's grab our dice. Um, First things first, I want to ask, do you have any role play tips for gnomes? Whether uh, to play them more gnomey and less halflingy, or to play a gnome so it's not so annoying for the rest of your party. Let's grab our dice and roll. Okay. I got a 19. Dan's just determined to go first. I got a five. I got an 11. Okay, so uh, role play tips. I mean, use the table in the back like I just mentioned in Mordenkainen's, but... um, Oh, hold on. I got to say, there's one thing. There's one thing in the personality traits... Number two on that table is you live life like a leaf on the breeze. And a firefly taught us anything, that's how you get a quick, untimely death. So don't pick that yeah. one. 
Yeah, don't pick that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so to play a gnome, the idea of being the most good-natured person in your party um, really sits well with a gnome. Now, the, the temptation to play as the high-voiced, fast-talking, um, like hyperactive character is definitely not something I would encourage. I would try my hardest to play a good-natured character who is still down-to-earth. Um, a lot of gnomes being uh, giddy, bouncing off the walls, these, you know, blasts of color in a dark, dreary world um, don't really track for what we see in 5e gnomes. They're good-natured, but they are down-to-earth, and they are practical above a lot of, like, above all else, they are practical uh creatures so when you are role-playing a gnome play into that and that will frustrate your co-players a lot worse sorry a lot less um if you play with this more good-natured less hyperactive type of gnome um for my thing i was going to actually do the exact opposite dan i hard disagree i love it when we are on polar okay. opposite sides um but i hard disagree for it couple of specific reasons uh first and foremost um i believe pepperina sparkle gem the forest gnome was that bright level of color in curse of strahd am i wrong on that peps um she was pretty yeah she's pretty chaotic um she just kind of, she loved being there. She really did. I, I feel like, like... <laughs> she was just happy to be part of something. I feel like Strahd was, would, like, step out of the shadow and go, blah! And she's just, like, the fucking confetti gun in the corner that goes off. It was raining on his uh-huh. parade. We know that Megan... Yeah, he did not scare her like he wanted to. <laughs> we know that Megan also... Um, is currently doing Curse of Strahd, and she's playing Rainbow Fucking Bright inspired character as a gnome. So there's definitely ways that you can have fun with this if you're dealing with the pure dichotomy. But I agree with Dan, you're going to be a little frustrating to some people. So it's it's not something that I would do without talking it over with the rest of the party first. In session zero, say, hey, look, I want to be this bright, fun, colorful character. How does that really suit the rest of you? Right? Session zero is about everyone getting on the same page. So that's when I would float kind of an idea like that. Um, But I also think that gnomes... Gnomes are a great introductory character or race rather to play because they're so bright and vibrant and whatnot. They're easy to play. A lot of people find tieflings easy because you get to be a freaking edgelord. Right? Or dwarves easy because we've all seen Lord of the Rings. Right? Gnomes are easy too. If you have a friend that loves doing voices and is a big, you know, exuberant, flamboyant person, they're they're one of these these freaking drama kids that are in high school and you know it and you want them to get into D D, recommend a gnome. Give them something to latch onto for their role playing, and they will find the subtlety and nuance as they get into future characters beyond that. But if you're going to run the starter set, the Minds of Fandelver or something like that, I think that gnomes are actually a really good place to start to encourage role-playing because there are going to be other things like half-elves and dragonborn and Aarakocra and Kenku. P- 
People like to play them, but they're a little hard to get into. You've got to have a little bit of role-playing experience to really find fulfillment with that. Um, so as much as gnomes, as an experienced DM who DMs people that have been playing for, you know, decades, uh, I'm just done with gnomes. Give me something new. But for new players, gnomes really do have a place within the D&D conversation when it comes to role-playing specifically. So being a little bright and fun and sparkly is great, but remember you're part of a collaborative group and clear it with them first. Yeah, uh, I find a lot of the going overboard, the hyperactivity that could come with gnomes often takes over a table. And that's why I was cautioning against that is because you are part of a collaborative story. Don't build a character that is constantly going to be in interjecting hijinks into a potentially serious campaign. But that's now if you have a hijinks based campaign, then yeah. But like if if every single dour moment is met with a confetti gun and sparkles and someone's got, you know, a a spray of water from a flower on a lapel, that you could affect the tone of your game. So Adam, I agree with you. Bring it up into session zero, see if that's going to match the tone that you want, that the DM and the rest of the players want in that and, campaign. And look, I'm going to be honest. A, I think it's hilarious that you say that because you like your fucking holly fans and bullshit in your, in your hell dimensions. But um, I, I just think that this is more about uh, respecting the other people around you and knowing that if you are one of six people sitting around a table, you've got some 18% um, or 12% or whatever it breaks out to be um of the spotlight so you can use your version as much as you'd like your time in the spotlight how you would like to do it but don't overrun other people and that's just good D D etiquette yeah so peps peps you got any insight into role playing um i would play into the obsessive trait with them i know from what i've heard Lockie had his obsessions with chemical <laughs> Dependencies. And dwarven um, women. Pepperino. And dwarven women. Yeah. Uh huh. Pepperino was an alcoholic um, and was very obsessed with where she was going to find her next drink. Was Pepperina um, Lockie's first wife? <laughs> she may have been. <laughs> they, they probably had a um, drunken cruise at some point in time that you both know, of them until... walked away itching in places and wondering why. And then she got swapped away to Barovia and never thought of him again. Um, Aw, poor Lockie. <laughs> that's that's the story of all of Lockie. Like, that's his love life. <laughs> they walked away and never thought of him again. Um, yeah, like, I don't I have a very obsessive personality, hence my 30-plus dragons sitting next to me. Um, and my, I couldn't even tell you how many minis and shit I have next to me hey. because I have to have them all. Hey. That is not an obsession. <laughs> that is just some quality life living that you're doing there. I thank you. I, uh, I identify with that <laughs> issue approve. a little bit. <laughs> right. So like everybody has something they're obsessed with. I feel like you can kind of pull on that with their, you know, with that trait in them. Also, discuss it with your party ahead of time if your obsession is going to be sex pits. That I'm just gonna throw that out there. Yes. Don't just yeah. don't just yes. assume. 
Terry. Okay, guys. Uh, let's let's. That's a session zero topic. Oh yes, for sure. <laughs> let's roll again. I want one interesting gnome NPC. A dead one. Ooh, I got. A I said interesting. Ooh, I, got, I got a nat twenty. Oh, I got a seventeen. I was so excited. Damn it! What'd you... I got a five. <laughs> All right, Peps, you're up first. All right, we're doing NPCs. NPC. I like the idea of an undercover gnome. Um, in my head, she's a forest gnome. She lives outside of um, an upcoming kingdom. Wasn't Pepperina under a lot of covers? <laughs> um, I mean, she didn't necessarily need the covers. Oh, okay, but so, again, um, sex fits. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's. They live outside, like, an up-and-coming kingdom that's tearing down the forest. They're pretty pissed about it. So she goes undercover with maybe a half-wood elf posing as her mom, and she pretends to be a kid because nobody pays attention to peasant children Um, and gains information. She listens mostly for things about expansions, but picks up other things, and she can approach your party and say, I have this information that might be of use to you, whatever your party's into at the time. Um, but I need your help foiling this plan first. And cool. because they can talk to animals, they could talk to the like rats and shit around the castle also and pick up all sorts of information. That's my idea. I really cool. like, that. like hidden it. as a kid. Yeah. Adam? Um, mine is going to be, of course, is for Fneblin because... Um, I freaking love them the best, but I, I would spend the entire time, the entire, uh, campaign leading up to how the king has one, one of his, his guard, one, one man that works for him, who is just known by some ridiculous, like, um, like the black dog of the wood or something, right? Like he's got some crazy title and everyone talks about him, but like, have you ever seen him? Do you know? And then every once in a while, there's an assassination in another kingdom, or uh, there's an there's an army that's coming up, and then suddenly half of the army gets cut off by a flood, and you're like, ah, that was that was him. That was the guy. The guy is out there doing the king's bidding, and it's just a Sferf Neblin who operates by you know cover of night, and they're an arcane archer hmm, with maybe okay. a couple of levels in monk, just so that that. They get that speed boost, um, but they are just skulking around the shadows. They don't want to deal with people. It's odd that Sir Neblin don't have sunlight sensitivity like most of the other Underdark um, uh, races do. So I like the idea that they've got a little bit of illusion magic to pass off as a regular gnome, but then at night they revert back to their dark, um, their dark gray skin, and they just non-detection blur. They, they're disappearing into the into the shadows consistently and wreaking havoc on the kingdom's enemies. And it's just this one-man hitman, and you discover them three-quarters of the way through the campaign, where just a tiny little gray gnome walks up to you, super bald, looks up at you and says, We have a mission. I really like this guy. In that one, his obsession is murder. Ooh. <laughs> See, they all need an obsession. Um, for me, um, 
Adam's going to scoff at this one. I know he is. But I want <laughs> to lean heavily into the tinker trope. No. Uh, for a rock gnome. You? Uh, and make this guy, as an NPC, I want him to be a tier two big bad evil guy. Um, I want this uh, gnome to have basically taken over an entire uh, city's populace. With little mechanical horrors that he has built and is just pumping out for whatever reason. Um, And I have this vision of this final boss in this large mechanical warehouse where this gnome who's artificer or illusionist, I don't really care which, but he's popping around and he is grabbing these mechanical things to throw at the party for this really cool, interesting, dynamic a uh, big bad evil guy fight where you have to like fight off robo sturges and like I would use these beasts just they're robots as well right and have these things go out and the final quote unquote form of this guy is he would be wearing a large like mech suit that he has built out of steam power and gear and clockwork that your party has to shut down um I really like I really like the tinker aspect of gnomes, and if I'm gonna play a gnome as an evil guy, I'm going to lean so heavily into the tinker that uh, the party's going to get sick and tired every single time they hear a little like click 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 of a clockwork. We're already thing. sick and tired of it. Ah, it's great. Love it. Okay, guys. Finally, to wrap up the episode, let's have one non-standard for you, Adam. Character build for gnomes. Let's roll the dice. Uh, and I'm ending the day with a natural one. I got a 10. I got a 4. All right, Peps, you're up. Oh, first with a 10. Um, so my non-standard character idea uh, would be the rack gnome that I did, um, who was a monk. And I loved her as a monk. She was... Um, she would go up and just like hit these guys in the shin. And the game I played in, she was next to a Goliath fighter. So it was just a really funny dynamic having this small gnome. And she always got a little like kill shot. Nice. Which was hilarious. The Goliath knocks him down like, and she just like removes his jaw. Yeah. Like I, I love the idea of just a badass gnome kicking ass because they're not normally thought of as fighters they're more the like tinkers wizards yeah they're high magic inch, right? casters yeah. yeah yeah which i don't like i don't even understand how to min max so i don't look at <laughs> that kind of stuff i I'll, just do we'll have to have fun. a later talk i'll, I'll let you know <laughs> you bastard <laughs> I just do what is a funny idea to me or a fun idea. Like, I really don't pay attention to the stats when I'm picking. I'm just like, I just want to be a three-foot-tall ninja hitting people in the shins. That's how everyone should play, in my opinion. Yeah, so she was just, she was so much fun. And I only got to play her twice, and it was in two different games that were so different. Um, The second game I played, it started out as her birthday and then the whole city blew up. And she didn't actually hit anything in that whole session. But she was still a ton of fun to play. That's cool. Cool. 
Also, just sidebar, plastic bag has now been replaced by badass. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Rack gnomes is pretty cool, yeah, too. Yeah, I like rack gnomes. <laughs> you guys have, like, a soundboard for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess that was me next. Um, so here's what I'm thinking. Uh, I love my Swerfneblin, and, I mean, they're just they're built for rogues and whatnot. But the forest gnome kind of made me raise my eyebrow for a minute. Because as much as we talk about artificers and tinkering and whatnot, they're really built towards being um, wizards. You see that with the high intelligence score, right? Like gnome wizards are a common trope. Um, yeah. And so everyone tends to look at illusion. And I mean, Dan, I think you probably said it about three or four times. But one of the things that I've really been thinking about since I did the Eberron series with Dave was the idea of transmutation and building monstrosities and a gnome wizard Hmm. that can speak with small animals is rife for creating new kinds of monsters oh that's cool so like oh no i I really like this so i'm going to sit down and probably work with my dm to have instead of of you know the um the rock gnome tinkering with the the clockwork things i'm going to try to build some sort of feat where i can you know every short rest have up to three different weird tiny monstrosities with very limited uses right and i'll take it as a feat because i don't want to give up my speak with animals or any of that nonsense that comes uh standard with the sub race uh and the breakdown mechanics there but I really like the idea of having that level of tinkering and a biological level. That you just you just like went island of Doctor Doctor Moreau with this. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You throw yeah. some transmutation magic in there. You use illusion magic to get them into the little like spawning pool or whatever of alchemical magic, and then you you mix them together and see what you fucking get. And every once in a while the DM can just pull in and be like, oh, Huh. You you built a sparrow with dragon breath, with ancient dragon dragon breath coming out of a sparrow. Now you guys got to catch and kill this thing because it's going to like burn down the forest. So for my uh, non-standard uh, character build, honestly, I really love the gnomish pantheon and a gnome cleric of one of these sub-level uh, deities really speaks to me and I would love to see one specifically of Segojan, Earthcaller. Uh this is the uh death god, but it is mentioned that Segojan is very much a uh known as the best cook among all of gnomes. So this this uh gnome cleric character uh, because it's Sega Gen, I'll probably go Grave Cleric. Let's be completely no, honest. No, um, no, 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 no. I'm stopping you now. This is just Dan masturbatory fantasy right here. You have the tinkering, you have the god <laughs> worship, and now you have the, the freaking also likes food. Dan, sort your life out. I have sorted my life out. I know what I want, and I'm, and I'm going to get what I want. And that is a little bit of tinkering, a little bit of you know religion, and a lot of food. And that's my gnome. God damn it. Terry, Terry, call me. <laughs> when you hear this episode, call me. We've got to have an intervention. 
But <laughs> to be honest, like this character, I, it would be a challenge for me because like I'd want to play this as the um, like the caregiver of the group. I want this like the person who is managing wounds and like I want to very specifically like I might play this guy's a life cleric, a gnome life cleric who's just there to make sure his party is good and happy and comfortable. Right. And yeah, I get that we're adventuring. Would he be like, and I get that like we need to, and I'm on board with doing on it. On the edge of the sex pit? Is that the life cleric? Is that what his job is? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. He's the guy handing out large tubes just to make sure people could get some air. You're going to be like the dad of the group. Yeah. Right. Hey, yeah. hey. Did, you, um, did dad, you grab your lube? Daddy Dan. Did you grab your lube? I can't leave the house without lube. <laughs> Oh no, he's got some sort of uh, some sort of uh, clockwork gizmo that's just uh, dumping no, you're the done. fifty gallon. You're done. Personal I loop. don't want to hear the end of that sentence. We're leaving it with he's got some sort of clockwork gizmo heading off to the sex pits. <laughs> and thanks for listening. That's the end of the gnome episode. <laughs> I was going to bring up the fifty gallon tub of personal lubricant, but fine, I won't. Jesus. Uh, that'll be it they for this episode. In that, they're not that big. <laughs> It depends on how big your sex pit is, really. <laughs> 50 gallons, that's a big... We are probably going container. to have to change the name of this episode to Gnome's <laughs> Sex Pit. <laughs> this is why I get that Anyways. drinking feeling anytime that it, this comes up. <laughs> Anyways, that'll be it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can head over to www.itsamimic.com. But why would you want to? Our- Jesus. <laughs> and hit our fancy donate button there or you could tell your friends and the rest of your D party about the podcast we're available on itunes spotify and youtube as well as most other podcast apps and don't forget to come back next week when we are going to be covering fighters also check the show notes for links to pepperina and crit stormcast and all the other good stuff that she was pimping oh yeah uh, peps thanks so much for stepping in on this one it, it was great to have you here Oh, it was my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. So, guys, we have been talking about gnomes and the lovely little creatures that they are so close to our hearts. Um, all of us have confessed our undying love for them. All uh-huh. of us, Adam. Yeah. And uh, I just got to ask, there's this trend going through gnomes where they just find their thing that interests them, that drives them, that compels them into a life as an adventurer and as a um, tinkerer or scientist or whatever it is. Guys, what to you right now are you currently learning or obsessing over and why? I do want to roll dice on this one. Okay. I got a 12. I got a 15. I got a... That says an 11. All right. So uh, I guess that means I go first. Um, So for me, what I have been obsessing over lately is an old passion that has kind of re-flared up, and that is uh, music. I have been really diving head first into a lot of really, really... Uh, tight new bass grooves and I've been playing my bass more often and it's been a good little like refuge for my hyperactive mind so uh, for me it's been music lately and I've been I've been chasing it down everywhere Um, part of that has to do with the fact that I got brand new headphones that have great bass response 
and so my life has just become endless source uh, and an endless stream of music. Oh, is it me now? Yeah, yes. now it's your turn. <laughs> Um, you can interject at any time. Like there's, <laughs> interrupting is completely okay. Are you done? <laughs> um, uh, D and D is probably <laughs> my answer. Um, specifically, I've recently gotten into terrain building. Um, okay. And I've Ooh. joined a competition with Encounter Terrain, and every month they do a. 10 by 10 competition. So that keeps me busy for two weeks. You have two weeks to build it. Um, like a week it, to obsess about what you're going to build. Is there like guidelines of what, like, does it have to be for tabletop role playing purposes or? He gives you a theme each month. So um, the first month was not quite right. So I made a floating island of murderous gummy bears led by a pink wormling i saw that that was beautiful thank you so uh that came to me in like a fever dream um and i created it so yeah that's it's, fantastic <laughs> that's that's what i've been up to for most of covid <laughs> adam what you got uh, We're not going to get in what I've been dealing with because I've been digging really heavily into Canadian politics. So, Oh, good. Yeah, just, just reading. I'm fucking not getting involved. But we've got an election coming up. And I'm like, I've been distracted by American politics for four years, as has the rest of the world. It's time to refocus. So uh, I've been doing a lot of reading about that. And it is not as interesting as it sounds. And it does not sound interesting. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs>